Hello, another episode. Here we go. Round two. Round two. We were just kind of, we just kind of pieced together that we didn't actually drop the name of the podcast in episode one. I guess that was a, call it a, call it a learning curve thing, but you are listening to the great Canadian hockey podcast, Aiden Sarah and James Parisi bringing you episode two. We hope you enjoyed episode one. If you listen to it, I know James and I enjoy putting it together and I don't know about him, but I am very excited to get going for the second one here. Awesome. Me too, man. Uh, I had nothing but great feedback from friends, even people who don't listen to podcasts. So uh, I know we had a, a whopping 14 listens from day one, and uh, I'm pretty stoked on that. I, th- I think that's a higher number than I expected. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we can continue to build on that and drown some people's ears with odd hockey notes and and some relatively relevant news. Speaking of relatively relevant, uh, we established last podcast James is an Avs fan Aiden's a Canucks fan and Aiden watched Charlie McAvoy and the Boston Bruins beat the Vancouver Canucks today 5-2 and James that's kind of a good place to start because Charlie McAvoy coming back it's huge for Boston but they didn't need to get any better than they already are (laughs) well that's right Aiden like they've had a ridiculous start from the team and specifically Hampus Lindholm playing Norris Trophy level hockey like the guy had what another three assists today. He's, uh, I remember watching interviews years ago of players being asked who the hardest defenseman in the NHL to go one on one against was, and many of them said Hampus Lindholm. Like this guy is dynamite. I think he kind of was out of the spotlight for a while in Anaheim, and you know, given that chance to shine while they have a number one D out, and you get to just add a, a number one D to a guy performing that well, it's ridiculous. I. If I were any team, I'd be scared to play the Bruins night in, night out right now. Yeah, Lindholm always very defensively sound, always reliable. But without McAvoy, he's been able to take that step in his offensive game. The points tonight, I think, puts him, he's above point per game now. His plus minus, as much as that stat can be, can be a little bit unreliable. He's a plus 18 on the season. He's got 17 points in 16 games from what I'm looking at right now. And yeah, that Boston team, David Pasternak, has had an unbelievable start to the season. Both Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy back before I had thought they were coming back. Marchand off to a hot start as well. Jake DeBrusque, who was kind of on the outs, at least last year, he's rescinded his trade requests and he's back to playing some of the best hockey he's played. So yeah, we kind of talked about about some teams on the last podcast that were out of the playoffs that, you know, maybe on the decline and coming into this season, I would have said Boston is one of those teams and kind of... Yeah, talk about proven, proven, proven the doubters wrong. They are on fire, and they look like an early, early surefire contender. Well, just one note on the Jake DeBrus thing before we move on. You know, I think when a lot of when a team full of veterans has a coaching change, you kind of wonder if things are going to flush. If uh, if these guys are going to be able to have the same effect together on ice, if chemistry is going to still be able to work out the same. And I think I'm not going to say Bruce Cassidy was the problem with Jake DeBrusque, but having a coach who's going to be able to come in with a clean Jake DeBrusque slate per se. Like this is his first impression other than maybe seeing him in the past uh, playing against him. But this is a first impression. This is Jake DeBrusque ready to show. I deserve a spot on this first power play unit. They ran five D on the power or sorry, five forwards on the power play today. Yeah. And it's, 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 it, it's something that is obviously, you know, you you let in a couple shorthanded goals and suddenly you don't do that anymore. But what I will say is, is that that isn't happening under Bruce Cassidy, right? And I think I'm, I'm a big believer in um, players sometimes 
it, it, square peg round hole. If it's not a fit, it's not going to work. I thought, you know, Vancouver Canuck example, Nate Schmidt, when he was here, square peg round hole, didn't fit, didn't work. They moved him on. He's doing better in Winnipeg, who I think we're going to talk about the Jets later on because they, much like the Bruins, are having a hot start that I didn't anticipate anyways. So I think for Jake DeBrusque, you know, Bruce Cassidy was kind of the 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 representation of of DeBrusque trying to fit his square peg into the round hole in Boston, and it just it wasn't working. And new coaching staff, new attitude. I think, you know, Hampus Lindholm isn't the only player benefiting from it. And Jake DeBrusque, yeah, he's kind of showing showing why everybody when he came into the league thought this kid was going to be pretty special. And he's he's you know not quite point per game, but he's he's close. Oh, Aiden, you just did something terrible to me. You added a new element to my vocabulary. I'm going to be using square peg round hole all week. This is just <laughs> going to be crippling my conversation with people. I, I'm going to use this minimum a dozen times without even wanting to, and I can't hold it back. You've poisoned me now. Well, we, I was going to say we can, we can next Sunday, we can, uh, we, we can have a, how many times did James say it in the week count? If you can keep track. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So about those jets that we mentioned, uh, you know, we talked about the Bruins being a little bit surprising about maybe seeing them decline. What did you think the Jets were going to be before we talk about what they are to start this season? I thought they were going to be the, you know, the team that on paper has some talent, but is that, you know, kind of like Nashville. We talked last week about Nashville having their best days behind them. That's how I was looking at the Jets. They had left their contending days behind and they weren't strong enough to to make a push. I thought Mark Shifley was going to start his, you know, just kind of start his decline, even though he's, he's not even 30 yet. It was kind of a <laughs> kind of, kind of misplaced on my part, but you know, I know so much offense for the jets last year went through Kyle Connor. And for me, just the, the success they did have in the last couple of seasons, I didn't really see as sustainable because so much of it went through the, the high end forwards and the goaltending. Um, Kyle Connor's only got two goals in 14 games this season. Connor Hellebuck, however, is playing out of his mind. 935 and a 2.08 goals against average. That's helping, but it's not the only reason because the Jets as a whole are playing some good hockey. Well, and you mentioned Kyle Connor only scoring two goals so far this season, which I never would have guessed. I thought he was a not so dark horse for the Rocket Richard. The guy flirted with 50 goals last year, but he's got two goals piling up the assists. He's sitting around a point per game right now. Shifley just scored his 10th in OT tonight. Like he's filling the net. That's just another thing we didn't expect whatsoever. It's they're getting a lot of production from the blue line. Uh, Pionk kind of found his game a bit. They're getting, I think Josh Morrissey is one under a point per game now or around a point per game. I think tonight put him one over. One he's over. 15 and 14 games now. Of course. Great. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect that. I don't know if you did. And they're getting decent depth contribution. I saw Sam Garnier have an assist today. Adam Lowry's been great. He's an awesome player to watch. And he's very much a Rick bonus type player. And I think Rick Bonus is totally a, he's a bit of a jumping off point here because this is where we can kind of parallel it to the Bruce Cassidy, the Jim Montgomery situation in Boston. Rick Bonus is a big players coach. They had some turmoil in that dressing room in Winnipeg last year, or at least like, at least it seemed like it when there's smoke, there's fire, right? There was so much talk about it. So you'd imagine something was going on. And I just well, want to go back to, uh, uh, one story that came out uh, when Rick Bonus went on his run with the Dallas Stars, 
Remember the story about him sitting in the room after a loss in the playoffs and asking the players what he did wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that speaks to bonus as a coach. That speaks to his coaching style. And if you had told me at the beginning of the season that the Jets were going to get on, were, were going to get off to the start that they have started the season with, I would have said that it's because Nikolai Ehlers has broken out because Paul Maurice in Winnipeg completely underutilized the talents of Nikolai Ehlers. But Ehlers has been hurt. He's played two games. He's got three points in those two games. Hopefully he's back next week. That's what I read. It would help the Jets. It would help my fantasy team. So, you know, fingers crossed. But it's kind of insane that one of the Jets, as I view him, one of their best forwards has been injured for the majority of the season and they're still having this success. It's kind of like adding McAvoy to the Bruins. You're going to add Ehlers to this Jets group and, you know, I, the sky's the limit pretty much with the, the talent on this roster. And just also want to shout out really quickly, Cole Perfetti. Good start to the season. Big fan of Perfetti's coming up from junior. Um, he's got eight points in 14 games, kind of a Calder dark horse for me coming in, but you know, he's, he's, he's had a good start as well. I, I kind of chuckled a bit there. You said sky's the limit. And Nick Ehlers nickname is fly. And the team is the jets. Like that's, Com- that's just asking for it. I was going to say completely unintentional, but <laughs> I know early on in the podcast last week, you had a couple, you had a couple good ones too. So whether it's on purpose or not, maybe we'll work a pun into the first 10 minutes of each podcast going forward. Honestly, even if it's not intentional, I can't hold them back. I, like I just catch fire and I can't stop making myself laugh. I don't, I don't think other people laugh, so it might not be so great for the listeners, but I laugh. And, and if you can't make yourself laugh, then then what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, the, I think the whole point right now is for you and I to have fun and hope the product reflects that. So in the early stages, we'll we'll keep doing so. Kind of moving on from the Jets and, you know, we're talking about McAvoy coming back from injury with Boston and um, one team that's having the opposite Charlie or Charlie McAvoy back for Boston on the blue line, but on the Columbus Blue Jackets blue line, Zach Wierenski is done for the season. Wierenski last year had a career year, career high, 48 points, only played 68 games, eight points in 13 games with the Blue Jackets and Columbus who already wasn't start. They hadn't started super hot. And this this might be the the knockout punch in terms of their 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 playoff hopes this season. Well, you know, the thing is, Zach Wierenski is a top-pairing defenseman. He plays such a role on the ice and in the locker room for that team. They're not going to be the same without him. I don't care who steps up, what kind of next-man-up mentality you have. Maybe, who knows, maybe they totally rebound, but it's not going to be the same without him. It's He plays such a big role. I know Boone Jenner is the captain, but he's just as much of a leader from what I can see. And I mean, I guess the silver lining is that you're going to be able to see a guy like Jake Bean step up and maybe show what he can do. Um, Adam Boquist has a broken foot right now. (laughs) That's a guy who would have been filling in the holes and, and playing a bigger role offensively, playing a lot more minutes, but jackets are just kind of in a tough spot. And this is just another slap to the face. Um, hot take. I think they end up with Adam Fantilli. I think they end up with a top three draft pick and get Adam Fantilli. I don't, I don't think they're a lucky enough franchise to get Bedard. I was going to say, if they do get Adam Fantilli, oh my God, Fantilli, Johnson, Sillinger as a one, two, three centers. You might be looking at the team with the best center depth in the NHL in three years if they add Fantilli or, if, of course, if they add Bedard. 
One thing I do want to see out of Columbus on their blue line, David Juracek started the season with the Blue Jackets, played two games, sent down to the Cleveland Monsters, where he has five assists in six games. So maybe with that hole that Wierenski's leaving, you get to see the 18-year-old sixth overall pick from the Czech Republic move back to the big club. And, you know, you're talking about Jake Bean getting his opportunity. Adam Bokvist, I think, is a good shout, too. Bokvist has a ton of potential. It was really high on him when he was in Chicago. You know, we might be seeing a Bokvest bean Juracek top three for Columbus. And it's it's it would be, you know, again, probably not <laughs> probably not what's gonna lead them to the playoffs this year. But if those three can thrive, all of a sudden the Jackets, you know they've got the forwards with Johnson Sillinger and Jaeger Chinahov. And all of a sudden, if Bean, Bokvist, and Juracek show that they can be strong pieces moving forward, all of a sudden Columbus's future just got a lot brighter. So just before we move on, I think uh, David Yerchek, I mean, although he was drafted fairly high, I think he's a player that the average hockey fan might not know all that much about, and they're going to see a lot of him in the future. What do you think you could tell people about David Yerchek uh, as someone who's about to be a first-time watcher of his play? From what I've seen from Yerchek, it's a it's hard to draw a comparison, and it's kind of funny. If I had to draw a comparison... I would almost lean Charlie McAvoy. I don't know if that's a popular opinion, but somebody who's strong defensively, and that's, you know, as every defenseman needs to be, he's good in his own zone. What I really like about Juracek is his first pass out of the defensive zone. He, he's he's very concise. He's very, you know, doesn't make mistakes, hits a player on their tape every time. And he's the kind of defenseman where he'll get it in the defensive zone and you don't need to worry about your wingers breaking out because he is your breakout every single time he gets the buck he's the guy that's breaking the puck out you don't need to worry about the wingers getting it past their d-man because it's just him and that is very valuable it's very valuable to have somebody that can do that that you know you're never worried about turning the puck over at your own blue line you're never worried about turning the puck over and letting the other team in on a break with your check on the ice what a breakdown that was awesome <laughs> yeah watched him a little bit watch highlights of him in the Czech league and Watched him at the 2022 World Juniors. Was very impressed. Awesome. Yeah, you you just got me stoked for David Juracek. I was already kind of excited, and now I'm just jazzed up for him. So something pretty special happened in the NHL, and uh, I, I think you had a little bit you wanted to say about it. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Borea Salming tribute? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I probably can't tell you some, anything that other people haven't already said, but Borea Salming was a pioneer in, in players from Sweden and kind of players from Europe in general coming to the NHL. He's a hall of famer played from 1973 to 1990 with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he has Lou Gehrig's disease and the, the reception in Toronto on Saturday night, like, you know, it, it was a little bit hard to not get choked up uh, watching that with the Canucks you got two Swedes, William Nylander and Oliver Ekman Larson coming to take the ceremonial puck drop. And it's, yeah, kudos to the Maple Leafs. All, all that to say, kudos to Toronto. It was, it was beautiful and it was, it was, it was special and it was special to honor a special guy, a special player. I completely agree. A lot of emotion and, uh, and it's very, very warranted. I, I hope for the best with him. I, uh, I can't say I'm an expert on that disease or any rather. Um, but I, I just hope for the best for him and I hope he's okay. And his family's taken care of. And, and I just love what that franchise did. And I love all the attention the NHL gave to it because you and I weren't able to watch him play in our lifetimes. 
it's uh, all we can do is look back and and read all the stats and watch videos and whatnot. But fact of the matter is, we never got to experience it firsthand. So I think some of the people I'm the most happy for are some diehard Leafs fans, lifelong Leafs fans, or maybe in their older years that got to experience that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so all that to say from both of us, you know, massive uh, stick tap kudos hat tip to the Toronto Maple Leafs for for both what they did on Saturday against the Canucks, even Friday, he was in attendance at the game. They didn't, uh, they didn't, it wasn't his, it wasn't his night, but he, he was there. He was a part of it and yeah, just, you know, moving stuff. And yeah, like I said, good on the Leafs, good on the NHL, just echoing what you had said as well. Okay. James moving on Calgary and Ottawa, both won their last game. They're both on a one game winning streak, if you will. But they both continue to slide down the standings. Calgary, probably the more concerning of the two, even though their record is marginally better. Senators, of course, we touched on them in the last podcast without Josh Norris, still that young team that has room to grow. But the Flames are in win-now mode, and they are not winning now. All right. Way too much to say with this team, Aiden. I'm going to fight for my life to keep this concise. I really, really got into watching Calgary last year. Elias Lindholm is one of my favorite players in the NHL. Um, like outside of Ryan O'Reilly and guys on the abs, like he's he's up there. Like he's very high on my list. And I loved watching him play the, the last year and the start of this year, the first couple games. I just thought, wow, like it doesn't matter who's on this guy's line. He's ready for action. It's going to happen. And it's not happening. It's really not. We're seeing his numbers dip hard. We're seeing Jonathan Huberto is in a, a walking boot last I checked, and he's missed the past three games. I'm on my fantasy team. I'm practically in tears every night because of it. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is not Jacob Markstrom right now. And, you know, I think you can attribute that to a little bit of change in front of him. You got to get used to your guys again. And, uh, your D is going to play different when the forwards they're breaking it out to are not the same guys. They're not the same guys who are just going to do everything. Like we touched on it a lot last podcast. When you change a lot of things, it's going to be a bit of adjustment. There's going to be time involved and there's going to be getting to know each other. But how many games in the season are we? 12? It's I think Calgary it's 14 games, I think. 14. You're your, your clock's ticking. You have to find time to get better. I don't know if it's guys lower in the lineup stepping up. I was fairly impressed with Michael Backlund the other night. He uh, he had himself a bit of a game, and you can see his work work ethic is exactly what it's always been. The guy's a workhorse. The guy's a middle six center who's always ready to come in and compete. But I don't know. It's just like the air is out of their tires. Um, what's another analogy? The, the Their wings are grounded. I could go on forever. Their their fire is doused. That one. Yeah. I was going to say we have to make a we have to make a flames related uh, <laughs> remark about them. And I was going to say what's what's the silver lining for Calgary is as much as they've been playing below expectations and you can point to some problems on the roster. You can point to that under 900 safe percentage that Jacob Markstrom has been rocking for the season. And, you know, obviously find those problems. But Calgary's played 14 games. They are four points behind Edmonton, but they've got two games in hand. They win those games. They're tied in points with the Oilers. 
And that's for the last playoff spot. Oilers have 18 points ahead of them as well in the wild card race. Chicago's got 15, Minnesota's got 16. So for the Flames, you're right that the clock is ticking because it, it's got to be a it's got to be a let's turn it around now if you want to still make the push. But unlike a team like the Vancouver Canucks, who are four nine and three, and you know well on the outside looking in, Calgary, despite not playing to the level that they should be playing with the talent on the roster has still managed to keep themselves in the conversation and close enough so that, you know, when Jonathan Huberto comes back and when those new guys get the legs under them, when the chemistry clicks, then they win some games, they're back in the hunt. Cause you know, as much as um, I'm not sure how much I buy the <laughs> just get in the playoffs and anything can happen because to me, there's maybe four teams every year that really could win the Stanley cup. But are you telling me that this Calgary Flames might not remind you a little bit of the 2012 Los Angeles Kings getting into that eight seed and making all the noise in the world in the playoffs? Because I think Calgary's got the talent on this roster. If, you know, if if you get hot and everything clicks, they could cause some problems. It's just going to be, you know, how can Daryl Sutter get that to click? Well, they have a couple things in common. And as you said, one of them is Daryl Sutter. <laughs> uh, before we move on, I, I do want to say, you know, I, I mean, it's echoing what you said a bit. This team is six, six, and two. They're not, they don't have a horribly negative record. They haven't had a long losing streak. They're staying in the mix, and Rasmus Anderson's playing great. Like, there are bright spots. And so I don't want to totally put out their fire. There's a bit of a spark. Speaking of, you know, the Pacific Division standings, we talked way, way too much about it in the first episode, but it was, you know, it, it was. You know, as a hockey fan, it was nice to see Jack Eichel kind of get to stick it to the Sabres, wasn't it? um, Hat trick gets to celebrate right in front. Yeah, James is doing it on our camera right now. Gets to celebrate, you know, amidst a a a very very loud chorus of boos in Buffalo. But for Eichel, we talked about how good he's playing. Up to nineteen points in sixteen games, nine of those goals, three of those in Buffalo, capping it off with an empty netter and. Yeah, James, uh, I know I kind of, you know, I, not not to say I'm a huge Eichel fan or I dislike the Sabres. It was it was just, <laughs> it, it was nice. It was nice to see. Good for him. I said it before and I'll say it again. Jack Eichel is really good at hockey. He was hitting them with, oh, are you not entertained? Like it's Jack Eichel's world in Vegas. And what do you call people from Vegas? Las Vegasans? Vegas. I don't think so, but I, I don't have a better answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. People in Las Vegas are living in Jack Eichel's town. That's his city now. It, try to take it back. He is on fire, and I don't think it's going to stop. And, you know, when the clock ticks towards the end of the year, I mean, it's hard to take a major award like the Hart Trophy from Connor McDavid but or Austin Matthews, like a, a guy at that echelon. But Jack Eichel has to be in the conversation if he keeps playing like this. I'd, I'll be ticked off if he's not. I agree with you. Um, but, and this is a kind of a segue into our next point, uh, Connor McDavid. <laughs> Connor McDavid. We talked on the first episode about you know how cool it would be to see him do 50 and 50. He's got 15 goals in 16 games so far. So that's obviously still within reach. But he's got 32 points in those 16 games. And he's been doing it consistently. It's not like he's been, you know, red hot has a slump, then red hot again. He's just continuously putting up points, putting up highlight reels. So the question I kind of wanted to ask you, James, 
is it's it's going to be over under Connor McDavid points on the season, and I'm going to set it at 149. Is he over or under? Under. 142. 142. Okay, that's a specific guess. He's on pace for 164 right now. I think it again, kind of like my attitude towards the 50 and 50, getting to witness that in this day and age in the NHL would be just so awesome to see. Um, you know, he's played just two full 82 game seasons. And of course, rookie season shortened due to injury, had a couple seasons shortened due to the pandemic. So it's not his fault, not to say he's injury prone, not to say it's on him. But, you know, being able to play 82 games a season is hard, all that to say. So if he does play 82 games, I see 150 as much more of a plausibility. If he doesn't, then, of course, the chances go down. But just wanted to also point some attention. Not that Connor McDavid needs the attention, needs the notoriety. But 32 points in 16 games, we could be in for a historically good season from 97. He only had four shots on goal and one assist against Florida yesterday, and he's fallen off. One assist. <laughs> he's garbage, garbage. That's not the Connor McDavid I know. One assist. It's over. He's not even gonna finish the season a point per game. It's done. I hope. I hope listeners realize I'm joking. He's really good. I, at hockey. Yeah, my, my yeah. I I also hope listeners realize you're joking. To be fair, I, I hope that wasn't the point where we dropped from 14 weekly listeners to seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to admit, um, and I'm not gonna say which podcast specifically, but I was a avid listener of a hockey podcast. Again, I'm not going to say which one last year until about the fall. And I remember where I was, I was working a hockey game in Delta. I was about to take, take my headphones out to, to start preparations to do play by play. And I hear one of the hosts say in a, you know, actually genuinely serious way to his co-host that he thinks Austin Matthews has surpassed Connor McDavid as the best player in the NHL. And that's when they lost me as a listener. <laughs> so we just want to, you know, make absolutely sure we're joking about Connor McDavid finishing the season under a point per game. I, you know, again, on the stipulation that he plays 82 games, I think I've got him over 149. I think, I think 150 is doable for him. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm on board with that. I'm, I'm still floating around 142, but I think it's going to be like 60 goals. Like he's, he's maybe something around there, like 60 plus goals. Over 140 points, like the best season we've seen any player have in our lifetime, kind of thing. Uh, oh, with that's yeah, that's that's to me not even, not even a debate. We're gonna get into some more, you know, some more generational talent stuff with Connor Bedard on the other side. But we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back, talk a little bit World Cup of hockey, and then get into junior. All right, that was a quick break for you listeners and uh, a little bit of a buffer for us. A uh, quick bathroom break and take a sip of my sports hydration drink. Uh, can't talk about who it is because no free ads. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to take some time to go from one phenom to another. We were just uh, taking some time to talk about Connor McDavid and we are going to talk about Connor Bedard. He's been on a ridiculous start to the season. There's no sign it's going to end anytime soon. Tell me a little bit about what we're seeing, Aiden. Yeah, and I did want to kind of 
not not just touch on Bedard's start, but kind of look at the comparables of other first overall picks of the last little while. But for Bedard specifically, 18 goals and 25 assists in 20 games with Regina Paths to start the season. It's good for 43 points in 20 games. His pace in a full WHL season, he's not going to play a full WHL season because the WHL doesn't pause when Connor Bedard is going to go and play for Canada at the World Juniors, obviously. But if he were to play the 68-game full WHL schedule, he's on pace for 61 goals and 147 points. We talked, you know, a lot about the the this coming draft on the last podcast. We've already kind of mentioned, you know, somebody like Adam Fantilli that the Jackets would be in on if they get that pick. But this is this is, you know, it'd be hard to say anybody's gonna be Connor McDavid, but this is gonna be the closest we've had since and probably the closest we're gonna get in a while. Yeah, like I I said phenom. You could use any of those words to describe him. This guy is the best prospect since McDavid. We've had, I'm not going to say weak drafts, but we haven't had that clear-cut, potentially generational talent come into the league for a little bit. This guy is absolute money. And I know you want to go in a little bit on the comparisons. I'm just seeing the the first one there, uh, Mr. Sidney Crosby, the model player for any general generational player coming into the NHL. He had 66 goals and 102 assists in uh, for 168 points in 62 games. That all goes together for a ridiculous 2.71 points per game. It's going to be hard to top that. Yeah, but Bedard right now, 2.16 point per game for Bedard. That is above guys like Nathan McKinnon, John Tavares, and Steven Stamkos all didn't eclipse the two two points per game during their draft years in the CHL. It is behind three notable players. You mentioned Sidney Crosby, who had the best draft year of this bunch, but also Connor McDavid, as we mentioned, had 120 points in 47 games in the OHL. That's 2.55 points per game. Patrick Kane, 62 goals and 145 points in 58 games. That's 2.50 points per game for Kane. Um, So Bedard kind of coming in right in the middle of those two groups of players and it's 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 different right it, it, the chl is different the, and you know we're not going to get into the differences really between the two leagues because that's a that's a very long-winded conversation for us to have about you know the differences between crosby doing that on the 0405 or muski oceanic and bedard doing it on this year's regina pats uh, the QMJHL and WHL and OHL all have different calibers that vary from year to year. But when you watch this guy play, it is just, it's, it's, it's exciting. No matter who he goes and plays for, it's going to be exciting to watch this kid play. I know me and James have a standing bet of whether or not he's going to hit hundred points in his rookie year. I still maintain that he is. And yeah, um, he's, he's a, he's a special player. We're going to probably have a, have a, have a more comprehensive draft look closer to the big day in, you know, the spring, early summer next year. Um, but I think talking about Connor Bedard is a good segue. Um, unless something major and unforeseen happens this year will be Connor Bedard's final world junior championship with team Canada. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how they're going to build around him, James. So I'm going to give you a few names. Shane Wright, Dylan Genther, Wyatt Johnston, and Brant Clark. Those are four World Junior eligible players playing in the NHL right now. And we talked about Shane Wright's low ice time on the first podcast. I think one of the silver linings of him not playing very much for the Kraken is he will headline Team Canada come World Junior season. 
Aiden, it would be an absolute travesty if uh, Shane Wright has to stay in Seattle, play little to no ice time, sit in the stands, whatever, and he doesn't get to go play in the World Juniors. I would be shocked, maybe appalled. I, I, I would be very unhappy. And, you know, he wasn't really all that insane in that couple games he played in the World Juniors last year before before things got shut down like he was playing well he wasn't really shining as much as bedard and as much as a few other players but i think this is the kind of thing that could be a huge confidence booster for him and i would love to see him there yeah one of my big things with the world juniors and this is as much of just it's just my opinion i i don't have examples specifically of players that lit it up in the world juniors that went on to like you know be huge in the playoffs other than you know the the obvious ones that were always going to be superstars but for me what the world juniors does is it gives these 17 18 19 year old kids the setting of a big game of a big moment of a big stage and the feeling of all that pressure before say they're in a game seven in the stanley cup playoffs right if, if that game seven is the first time you've ever felt anything like that you're going to respond differently than if you're somebody like Connor Bedard, who this year will be playing in his second World Juniors fully. Of course, he had the, you know, he had the 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 unfortunate cancellation of it last Christmas. And then in the summer they played and Bedard starred as Canada beat Finland in the gold medal game to capture it in the, you know, the unorthodox summer world juniors here in Alberta. So I, I think it's very valuable. If I had to guess about the other three guys, I think Shane Wright's going. I would say I think Brant Clark is going. I'm not as confident about why Johnston and Dylan Genth, uh, Dylan Gunther, unfortunately. <laughs> I think it's more likely that those guys stay in the NHL because one of the big things I always kind of ask myself is, is are how important are these players to this team's success? And Genther and Johnston are playing a lot in Dallas and Arizona. And... The the only thing with Genther is Arizona's success for the Coyotes might not be winning games, right? So um, for the Coyotes, if they're not concerned with getting those wins, maybe they're not too concerned with Genther being on the team contributing to those wins. So it, it's a complete roll of the dice. I would put money on Wright and Clark going. It's get, uh, Dylan Genther and Wyatt Johnson that I'm not sure of, but... Regardless, Canada's going to have a good team. They always do. I wanted to touch on Jordan Dumay. He's the only player remotely close to Connor Bedard right now in the CHL. He's got 40 points in 18 games with the Halifax Mooseheads. 2022 third-round pick by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Looks like Columbus might have got a steal. Um, 109 points in 68 games last year in his draft year. Um, he's going to be a headliner on that World Junior team as well. And I know, James, you and I are both big about this tournament and i'm looking forward to it already i've been quoted as saying at one point that i get more excited about world juniors than i do for nhl playoffs i don't know if that's the wrong thing to say as a hockey fan but there's just something about it you get that you get the boxing day game it's 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 right around christmas it's i look forward to it more than christmas it's i, I kind of pile them in together but there's just those massive moments. You think about the guys who their stories become legendary. Think about Jordan Eberle. Think about John Tavares. Think about Carey Price. Think about Mason McTavish this summer 
Yeah, again, more recently, McTavish, Barrett Hayden comes to mind, that 2020 tournament in Ostrava that, you know, I remember I was on my way out to do a, to to call a game for the, the Ridge Meadows Flames. I was in my suit ready to go broadcast and I was waiting for that game to be over. And I just remember sitting there with my dad and, you know, my dad before the game saying, Hayden's not playing. And I'm like, no, Hayden's playing. He's going to play. He's going he's, he's, he's to play. We're watching him in warmups. He's taking those shots kind of with a limp shoulder and, my dad's like, you know, you're no, he's not going to play. It's, don't get your hopes up. He's not going to play. And then third period down three, two, he wires in that power play goal that, you know, I, I, I was as excited for that goal as I've been for any goal in the national hockey league in the last half decade. <laughs> like that was, that was such a, such an awesome moment for the player, such an awesome moment for Canada. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I, I have to agree with you that for me, the world juniors is, is the best part of this time of the year. And, you know, we got about about six weeks left and, you know, it's kind of going to be kind of a matter of counting down the days till the puck drops. Well, I think one more thing on top of that, I could go on forever about the WJCs, but I'm going to restrict myself to one more point. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have to muzzle myself there because uh, I think the last thing I'm going to say is it's such a jumping off point for some players. And, and with that, introducing fans to new players. Think about guys who you first saw in the World Juniors, and they might not even have been a big a big player. They might not even have been a huge contributor. They might have been middle of the roster kind of thing. The one that always comes to mind for me is Braden Point. I remember seeing Braden Point at the World Juniors and thinking, wow, I really like this guy. This is a really likable player. Like He works hard. He's got talent. He just does everything properly. And... What do you know? He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the most important pieces of a powerhouse Tampa Bay Lightning roster. And then another name that comes to mind for me uh, back when we were in our first year at BCIT is Braden Schneider. I was just watching him play in the World Juniors, and he's just such a smart player who does things right. He's got a physical edge to him, some offensive flair. He's just that right shot defenseman that it seems like every team would love to have just chilling on their second pair one day. And he's a player I might not have otherwise cheered for. And I'm always going to be watching for him, whether it's box scores, whether I flick onto a Rangers game. I'm not a big Rangers fan. I don't mind them. I've got no ill will, but I probably wouldn't have cared all that much about this player if it weren't for the World Juniors. And I can't wait for this year when people fall in love with another player that they're going to cheer for the rest of their hockey watching lives. One more World Junior example just before we move on, because again, you and I could fill hours on hours of of World Junior talk. Which we do a special. Can we, I was going to say as, World Junior as, history special. As we get into December, I am almost confident that is going to be a thing that you will hear on the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast is extensive World Junior talk. I might we, we might go to multiple episodes a week just to get as much <laughs> out as we can. Um, but one player kind of that fits my example of the you know the guys that played on the big stage and then show up on the big stage in the NHL, Nick Paul, 2015 gold medalist with Canada, scored in the gold medal game in 2015 against Russia, played his first playoffs in his career last year with the Tampa Bay Lightning, scored both goals in the Game 7 win of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the kind of thing I love to see about the World Juniors is it gives a guy like Nick Paul, who his entire career hadn't played a playoff game, but going into that Game 7 in Toronto, he had played as big of a game in that building, mind you, <laughs> in 2015, Canada beating Russia 5-4 in the gold medal game. I thought of that because you said Braden Point, because I have in my head the image of Point sliding that backhand pass across to him and he tipped it past. 
Igor, Shest- uh, Igor Shestyrkin, it was in net for the Russians in that game, who was replaced by Ilya Sorokin. So what a goaltending tandem the Russians had on that team. But you know, that, as much as as much as I'd love to talk about the Russian goaltending at the World Juniors since 2015, we're gonna move on. Sort of, we're gonna stay on the topic of international hockey and kind of a a less positive blah. World Cup of Hockey is not happening in 2024. Push to 2025. Yeah, thumbs down on James's screen there. Here's the statement. Over the last year, the NHL and the NHLPA have been working on plans to conduct the next World Cup of Hockey, the premier international best-on-best hockey tournament in February 2024. Unfortunately, in the current environment, it is not feasible to hold the World Cup of Hockey at that time. We continue to plan for the next World Cup of Hockey, hopefully in February 2025. All right, James, what do you think? I'm pissed. Uh, (laughs) Usually I struggle to keep things concise, but that just deflates me. What? We're not going to send players to the Olympics again in 2024. Do you know where those Winter Olympics are? Because I don't even really care about the Winter Olympics all that much anymore now that there's... Yeah, there's big storylines. Yeah, it's important to Canada. There are a lot of big things, but I maybe I'm just sour. I, I don't know. I, waiting another year and then... I guess of all things... If they were to do it the same year as... Well, 2024 is the Summer Olympics. 2026 is the Winter Olympics. It's being held Milan, Italy, without knowing for sure. Yes, it's Milan. It's in Italy. Oh, dude, I've loved that one. I've loved that one so hard. It's okay. (laughs) 2026 is in Italy, Winter Olympics. That, to me, is the silver lining, is pushing the World Cup of Hockey back to 2025. If it actually happens in 2025, they're not going to the 2026 Olympics. But (laughs) if... 2025 now doesn't work, then the pressure is going to be on for NHLers to be able to go to the 2026 Olympics, of course, with the argument of it's been literally a decade since we've had a best-on-best tournament, send the goddamn players to the Olympics. So I think the World Cup of Hockey stagnating helps the case of players to the Olympics, but I want to see one as soon as possible because, unfortunately, we still live in a world where we haven't seen Connor McDavid play for Canada at the best on best international level. And that's not a world I want to continue to live in for very long, quite frankly. We just want best on best hockey internationally. That's all we want. And, you know, you're right. And I'm glad you were able to get that point out because when I went for that last point, I pretty much went out on the power play confident in what I was going to say. And then I let in a shorthanded goal. So I'm glad you were able to come out and, Come out and tie the game and and give me a chance for a decent next shift there. Um, yeah, you know, I just want best on best hockey. I'll reiterate that forever. It's uh, there's something to be said for the timing of it all. I completely agree, and I I think you make a great point that if it is before the Winter Olympics, people aren't going to care that we're not going to the Olympics. It's going to make it a lot better. It's gonna, it's gonna reinvigorate people when it comes to international hockey outside the World Juniors. It's something we need, and if it's delayed again, then we're really gonna have something to complain about. But for now, I guess yeah, I was deflated by the news for sure. But I mean, maybe I'm selfish. I just didn't want to wait another year. I want it now. Uh, I I want World Cup of Hockey tomorrow. I don't care when it is. Like just delaying it makes me sad regardless. If we needed more of a silver lining too, 
the the later the World Junior happens, the higher the chance that Connor Bedard plays a starring role for Canada, which I think a McDavid Bedard led Canada would be super cool to see. But of course, the other side of that coin is the later it happens, the lower the chance Sidney Crosby's on the team, right? We're already kind of in the if it's not going to happen this year, we probably don't see Patrice Bergeron on the team. So it's it's that it's that kind of last leftovers of the 2016 World Cup of Hockey winning team. You know, how many of those guys are really going to be on the team? Off the top of your head, Crosby's got a chance in 2025 if he continues to continues to perform. Stamkos probably has a chance, but you know, guys that played starring roles, Ryan Getzlaff is retired already. Jay Bomeister is retired already. Right. Like maybe an Alex Petrangelo has that shot at the 2025 team, but you know, that's, you know, it's, it's more than two years away that world cup of hockey. So, you know, it, it might, you know, the, 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 the fingers are crossed that somebody like Crosby will be able to play. Maybe Brad Marchand is able to, to make a return, but you know, the, the delaying of it further pretty much cements, you know, it's the last time we're going to have seen Patrice Bergeron at the best on best level for Canada, which as much as, you know, I'm a Canucks fan, I, I watched Patrice Bergeron take a Stanley Cup out of Rogers Arena. It still hurts my heart because of just what an exceptional player Patrice Bergeron is that, you know, I've 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 watched him play for Canada for the last time. And it it it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing that he didn't get that 2022 Olympics as his, you know, the the last dance for kind of that, you know, as much as we're not going to get into it because we don't want to talk about the world juniors this entire time, but it's that 20, 2005 world junior team, James, that, you know, it's, it's the last remnants of that core that then turned around, won the 2010 Olympics, won the 2014 Olympics, and then won the 2016 world cup of hockey. So, you know, all this to say, we want best on best. We want it as soon as possible, but you know, all we can do is hope. I guess to build on one point you made, I think we could still see Brad Marchand in a depth role. I think that's something that a team could really value, even if maybe he does slow down a couple pegs in between now and then. He's had a couple big surgeries, but he seems to be coming in hot off of it right now. All you can do is really hope for good health as as guys get later in their careers, and and we could see Stamkos and see Marshawn come in and and still play a role. Like we're Canada, we always have superstars on our fourth line. Uh, I, I'd be happy to have those guys on board. It, they're legendary figures in hockey in this generation, and I don't really want to see. I'm afraid of change. I'm I'm gonna miss everyone soon. <laughs> yeah, kind of the the handing of the torch per se, and it's it's yeah, it's gonna be McDavid and Bedard's team in 2025, and you know it's not like the 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 hands that the torch are <laughs> the torch is being passed into capable hands is is all that to say. So we've we've had our we've had our NHL, we've had our junior. Bit of an impromptu best on best deep dive. So, James, we're going to wrap up this podcast. And by wrap up, I don't mean we're going to end soon because we still have a couple of things to go through. But you gave me a couple couple kind of trivia games, a couple of things that I got to rattle off about at the end of the last podcast. So, likewise, James and I are going to play a game here. It's something we used to do at BCIT for fun just to, you know, pass the time and and, you know, entertain ourselves. It is career trajectory. So I'm going to give James a couple of pieces of information. It's going to be the year range of a player's career, start and end, and then the teams that he played for in order. This is literally any player that James and I have watched. That was all the criteria we've ever given each other is just, have I watched this player? If the answer is yes, then he's fair game. So if you want to play along as you're listening in, it's got to be quicker than James, which 
is is not easy i gotta say so i've got dude don't inflate me that hard you're gonna toast me on this (laughs) i was gonna say i i'm hyping you up and then you're gonna go over three but i do have three names ready for you um do you want the first one Yep. Yeah. I want the first one. And uh, if you're going to put it in any order, I want you to uh, start, start close to home, go easiest to hardest, warm me up a bit. Okay. Okay. I will give you one that I think you will get immediately. (laughs) So career, the career range years wise is 1997 to 2017. And I'll give you the teams, Ottawa, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Chicago. Marion Hosa. That's thank you. Thank you. I needed that. You made me feel smart. I appreciate that. And you know, uh uh Marion Hosa is probably the most underrated player of his generation. The guy's awesome. He's so likable. I didn't like Chicago, but I loved Hosa. And I think that's something everyone can say. Like, if anyone were to see the, vi- the video from this, I have an ear to ear smile right now thinking and talking about Marion Hosa. Like, obviously, career cut short, but love the player. Great start to the game. Let's move on to the next one. In. See, I knew I knew that one was going to be kind of the kind of the underhand pitch. Um, so we're going to go to the the medium level now. I do have an I, I did have it as kind of easy, medium, hard. So this is your this is your middle ground. And. Just for the record, that answer had no editing to it. That was James immediately on the ball getting that. So we'll see if he can do it again for this one. So your career range 2003 to 2019. Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Chicago. Oh, I actually feel really good about this one. Okay, uh, uh, give me Chris Kunitz. Yes, it is Chris Kunitz. I thought it was going to be the Tampa Chicago that tripped you up at the end, but... You've proved me wrong. Chris Kunitz, a three-time Stanley Cup champion and Olympic gold medalist. Talking about underrated players, the case to be made that he was carried by Sidney Crosby is valid. But with that being said, Kunitz, 35-goal season, scored one of the most clutch goals in either of the two Stanley Cup runs by the Pittsburgh Penguins to beat the Ottawa Senators in Game 7 of the 2017 Eastern Conference Final. Both of his two goals in those playoffs came in that game. (laughs) He scored early on to make it, I believe, I want to say 2-1 Pittsburgh, and then after Ryan Dzingle had tied it, he scored in overtime, which you know broke my heart at the time. I was very, very happy about that Senators run, but Kunitz able to lift his third Stanley Cup, won it in 2007 in Anaheim. So we're going to move on to, for me, the hardest one. Hopefully this one, you know, your your average answer time is about three seconds. So hopefully I can extend that a little bit with this one. This is one that I would have struggled a little bit on, much like the Kunitz one. It's the the end of career kind of that would muddy the waters for me a little bit. So I'm going to give you 2003 to 2016. San Jose, Vancouver, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Chicago. San Jose, Buffalo? San Jose, Vancouver, then Buffalo, Pittsburgh, LA, Chicago. Oh, I I, I don't know why, but like, I think San Jose and Vancouver in that range and i think rafi torres but that's not right at all because then the oilers have to be in there and a couple of the later teams don't work out okay tell me the order again at the at the disappointment of our listeners okay san jose sharks 
Vancouver Canucks, Buffalo Sabres, Pittsburgh Penguins, Los Angeles Kings, Chicago Blackhawks, 03 to 2016. Oh, this is hard. You you wanted to break me on one, and you looked for one that was going to hurt. This is uh, I don't want to give up. You know what? But I'm I'll, I'll do it. No, do I get a hint? I'll, I, I, I will give hint. you a hint. I'll tell you right now. This player came to my mind because I am looking at a young guns rookie card of his that I have from the Sharks. Because while he was in Vancouver, he was my favorite defenseman. There's your hint. If he played in the 2016 World Cup of Hockey, he would have played for Team Europe. That's your other hint. It's Christian Erhoff. Yes, it is. Well done. It's Christian Erhoff. From Germany, Sharks to Canucks, oh. had two great seasons in Vancouver, signed a ridiculous 10-year, $40 million contract with the Buffalo Sabres that I believe they bought him out of after three years. Then Pittsburgh, LA, Chicago. Chicago, he only played eight games in Chicago. That was kind of part of the curveball nature of that. I can't picture Christian Erhoff in a Blackhawks jersey at all. And it's not even because of the rivalry. It's because I didn't even know he played those eight games there. Yeah, in 2015-16, he played the first half of the season with LA, played 40 games, and then went to the Chicago Blackhawks, was traded one for one for Rob Scuderi. You know, San Jose to Vancouver, there were only so many names, but then all the other stuff mixed in had me thinking all kinds of oddities. For some reason, like, like I, I started thinking of it backwards, and I'm like, is Yannick Hansen involved here? But that's not right at all. And And then once you start going off in different directions in this game, once you get a bit of away from the point, that's when you're done. I almost gave up, and without that hint, I would have, so... I'm going to give myself two for three on that one. 2.5, uh, 2.5 for three. 2.5. Okay. And then uh, next, next week you can bring three for me. And uh, we've played this game a lot. James is quicker than I am, but I'll usually arrive to it in the end. So when you hear me play it next week, that's probably going to be edited to take out some of my, my deliberation and thinking last thing I wanted to do. And we don't need to kind of make it, uh, we don't need to make it. You, you don't need to go into detail and justify your answers. I just kind of want a, I'm going to give you a team. This team will be in the Stanley Cup playoffs as of right now. And I want you to tell me yes or no, whether you think they will be in the Stanley Cup playoffs after game 82. So you want me to start with the East or the West? Um, I want you to start with West and I'm going to say maximum five words per team after, after if they're going to make it or okay, not. Okay. That's a good challenge. All right. Starting in the central division, Winnipeg. Yes. Kyle Connor hasn't started yet. Okay, good. Dallas. Yes. Jason Robertson. That's completely fair. Colorado. No, not at all. No way. Yeah, of course they're going to make it. They're the champs, bro. They're the champs, bro, is a good use of your five words. <laughs> Into the Pacific, Vegas. Yes. Los Angeles. Depth. Depth for Vegas. How about LA? No. Injuries haven't happened yet. Okay. Seattle. No, not a chance. Okay. Edmonton. Yes. Connor and Leon. And last, Minnesota. No, too much dead cap. Okay. Good use of your West. You had three. 
So of Chicago, Calgary, Arizona, Nashville, San Jose, Vancouver, St. Louis, and Anaheim, you have space for three of those teams to hop into the playoffs. That's something we can do next week is kind of talk about what non-playoff teams will jump into the playoffs by the end of the season. We can save that for next time, though, because I'm going to start with the East, start with the Metro, and start with one of the hottest teams in the NHL, one of the most surprising teams in the NHL, the New Jersey Devils. Yes. Jesper Pratt, Nico Heischer, everybody. New York Islanders. Yeah, it's their time to do something. Yeah, I was. I'm. I'm a big Sorokin fan. I had them back in the playoffs this year, and I'm glad they're they're justifying my faith in them. Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, Rob the Bog, Brendan Moore. <laughs> Boston Bruins. Yes, they're just way too good. Just way too good right now, indeed. Are the Boston Bruins fourteen two and oh, James? My God. <sighs> you know, didn't really give the Canucks a chance tonight, which you know. Tank for Bedard, I guess. Um, Did they deserve it? Did they deserve the chance? No, no, they didn't. Well, they scratched. <laughs> they scratched Andre Kuzmenko, James, and that you know, I, I've I've fully, yeah, I've fully lost my 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 spark for caring about this team winning. If you're scratching the Kuzmeister, <laughs> anyways, moving on. Tampa Bay. Yeah, I don't even want to answer this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. New York Rangers? Yes, yes, and yes. And the Florida Panthers? Yes. So you've got eight for eight staying in the playoffs, meaning Detroit, Montreal, Philadelphia, Washington, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Ottawa, and Columbus all don't make the playoffs. Run me through those eight in the playoffs again one more time, please. We've got Jersey, Islanders, Hurricanes, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, Rangers, Panthers. If anyone doesn't make it, it's either the Panthers or a monumental Devils fall off, which honestly I think is the most likely thing as much as I would hate to see it and as much as it doesn't look like it right now. No, I might actually have to agree with you. I do not think the play of Mackenzie Blackwood is sustainable. I like Vitek Vanacek, but I think if Blackwood falls off a cliff, Vanacek can't carry that team to the playoffs. He can't be the number one. Vanacek's built for a 1A, 1B situation. But if Blackwood does what I would put money on Blackwood doing, which is kind of have a midseason collapse, and you're leaning on Vanacek, that's when Vanacek might, you know, maybe not break, but Vanacek will bend then as well. Remember the year Jeff Skinner scored a ton of goals, secured himself that crazy contract, and the Sabres won like nine in a row or something and were first in the East? Yeah, the 40-goal Skinner year that led to him getting $72 million. That's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting deja vu with Jesper Bratt and the Devils right now. Well, and Bratt's in a contract year. <laughs> that's the other that's the other point to make is is Jesper Bratt is in a contract year. Yeah, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't uh I wouldn't bet on Jersey collapsing personally, but it's possible. And that's I think where we're gonna leave, eh, James? I think that's all. I think we covered a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, it it feels a little more in order than last week per se. And uh, I was going to say we yeah, had things written uh, down this week, which was a which was better than we did last week in preparation. Um, so James and I are going to try and do this weekly. This is week two of two. We're both busy people, but I think I speak for both of us that we are committed to trying to do this as consistently as possible. 
I enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I'm Aiden. He's James. This was the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast, Episode 2. James, any final words? Uh, I want to thank our, uh, at the very least, temporary producer and creator of our intro and outro music, Gareth Baird. He is hard at work behind the keys right now, uh, marking down every time that Aiden and I are useless and have a terrible stutter or pause for an obscene amount of time, and he makes us sound better. I want to thank him for that. And uh, I also want to uh, let listeners know that we are working on dialing in a couple guests for sometime in the next uh, five, 10 episodes. And uh, we'll have some interviews on deck and maybe have some stories to tell. So I think that's something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And we're hopefully going to kind of have some things become regular segments. And I wouldn't even be opposed, James, to doing a 32 Thoughts style interview specific release if we've got somebody for a long-form interview i would be totally unopposed to releasing the interview on its own and then having you and i talk amongst ourselves for the episode of that week but that's all something something that we're going to explore moving forward and if you want to explore it with us subscribe to the podcast and i got one more thing to say gareth roll outro <laughs>